feel bad, Jim Ray, when you forget the vice president's name. Many presidents of our own country have forgotten their vice president's <laughs> name. And I bet you that most of us can't remember a lot of the vice president's names as well. So anyway. Well, we are continuing in Matthew 24, so let's uh, turn there. Find Matthew 24. Last week we covered one verses 1 through 14. Matthew 24, known as the Olivet Discourse because Jesus and the apostles have left the city of Jerusalem. They've gone up uh, to the mountaintop on uh, the hilltop on Olivet, where all the olive trees are. And they're looking down on the temple and the city. And Jesus is with his disciples, and uh, that doesn't mean only the twelve. There may be others there as well. And they ask him two questions. They said, Lord, when is the temple going to be destroyed? Because he mentioned that it would be destroyed. And number two, when are you coming back? <clears throat> and uh, they probably meant, when are you coming back into the city? Not his second coming. Because uh, he hadn't died, he hadn't risen, he hadn't ascended. They're not thinking in terms of second coming. They're just saying, when are you coming back into the city to destroy the temple and set up your kingdom? So Jesus is answering the first question. He's avoided the second question. And uh, we're going to pick up at uh, verse 15. He explains uh, what they are to do, the, uh, what the disciples are to do in light of the temple's destruction. Okay? What are you to do in light of the temple's destruction? So look at verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. <clears throat> now, when you look at these verses, you notice there are two verbs. Notice the verb see, and then in verse 16, the verb flee. You see that? See and flee. So when they see something, they are to do something. Those of them that are in Judea at the time are to do something. They are to flee, and they're to flee to a mountaintop, get out of the city. Notice that he's speaking to the disciples. You see the word you? See that? When you see this happening, you're to flee. Okay? When you see what happening? Oh, it says, when you, he's, group he's talking to, see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea, those who are among you that are in Judea, flee to the mountains. So it indicates that this is going to happen in their lifetime. <clears throat> now he says, when you see the abomination of desolation, what is the abomination of desolation? Well, it's something that was spoken by Daniel the prophet. Three times in the book of Daniel, the prophet mentions the abomination of desolation. And that means it's, uh, something is going to happen in the temple that is going to uh, deface the temple. It's going to be an abomination to God. And in 160 BC, 168 B.C., the Maccabeans, who were a group of Jewish people living in Jerusalem at that time, uh, 
took the book of Daniel and they believed that this event, the abomination of desolation, took place in their day when Antiochus Epiphanes, the evil dictator of the empire of Greece at that time that controlled the whole region, set up in the Jewish temple an altar to Zeus, the Greek god, and had a pig sacrificed on that altar. They said that is the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. Now, was it? No. But that's how they interpreted Daniel. Jesus says that abomination of desolation is going to take place in the lifetime of the disciples. And we know what's happened. What happens is there is a war that takes place in Jerusalem. It's called the Jewish War. Josephus writes about it. He's got an entire book called the Jewish War. And a war took place. Rome came in because the Jews became unruly. And this war lasted from 66 A.D. to 70 A.D., a period of three and a half years. And the Roman soldiers came in, Gentiles, if you can believe it, came into the Jewish temple and they desecrated it. Jesus says, when you see that happening, flee to the hillside. Get out of there because things are coming down. And uh, Luke says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies, flee. He says the same thing. Or otherwise, you're going to be des destroyed in the battle. And so that's what happens. There's somebody or something standing in the temple that is an abomination in God's sight, and it desecrates, it defiles the temple. Now what I want you to do in verse 15, I want you to look at that parentheses. You see that parentheses there? Right at the end? It says, whoever reads, let him understand. I'm going to show you what you learn when you go to seminary or Bible college that you miss usually when you go to Sunday school. Whoever reads, let him understand. This is Matthew's injection, interjection. He's putting this in here. See, the other words in verse 15 and 16 are in red. If you have a red letter Bible, those are the words of Jesus. He said those words in about 30 AD, didn't he? But Matthew is writing his gospel to a group of people in about 70 A.D. He's telling the story. He said, now back in 30 A.D., here's what Jesus said. But he's telling it to a group of people that are living 50 years later. And so in parentheses he says, whoever reads, uh, let him understand what I'm saying here. Or what Jesus was talking about. Notice whoever what? Reads. Because in those days when you wrote a gospel or you wrote an epistle like Paul does, it's delivered by a carrier who goes to the meeting place where the church gathers and that person reads it out loud. And he says the person who reads this is going to need to understand this because in 70 or 80 AD, the people that he's reading it to may not understand it all. And he's going to have to explain it. Now, if Matthew wrote his gospel, let's say in... 85 A.D. And the temple was destroyed in what? 70 A.D. It's already happened. The prophecies come to pass. 
They're reading about this account after the fact, and they're saying, oh, Jesus predicted that. That's why it happened, just as he predicted it. And then the reader would say, yes, and it was all based on Daniel 9.27 and Daniel chapter 11 and Jan Daniel chapter 12. So this is an interjection that Matthew puts in there to the person who reads it. Does that make sense? Okay, now we have Jesus' instructions, okay, about fleeing. When you see this happening, here's what he says in verse 16, instruction number one. Let those who are in Judea, or verse, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay, that means basically uh, uh, head for the hills. Okay, if you want to put it that way, uh, get out of harm's way. You know, run for your life. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, we had civil defense practices. You go, and you knew what you had to do. Didn't matter where you were, you had to flee. <laughs> you had to either get under your desk and put your hands over. You had to go to a civil defense air raid shelter. And that's what he says. When it happens, when you see it happening, don't hesitate. It'll be too late if you hesitate. That's instruction number one. Okay, instruction number two, verse 17. Let him who is on the mountaintop, so if you're in the city, get out of the city. He who's on the mountaintop or on the housetop, let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. You're relaxing on the roof, and they had flat roofs in those days. They didn't have roofs like we do, gable roofs. They were flat roofs. And people uh, would lay on the roof, and they would sunbathe. Remember Peter was on the roof in the housetop of Joppa when a sheet came down from heaven, and he saw all the... He was up there relaxing. He was sunbathing. It says, if you're sunbathing and you start to see these troops come in and you hear that the temple's been desecrated, he's saying, don't even go downstairs and pack a bag. Don't get your clothes because your life is more important than your clothes. You need to get out of there. He's speaking of an urgency here. Okay? Don't take possessions with you. Josephus tells us about some people who fled, by the way. This is just an aside. Uh, he said there were some Jews that when they saw the army surround Jerusalem in 66 to 70 A.D., uh, they fled and they actually went down into their houses and got their diamonds and swallowed their diamonds. And word got out that that was the case, that they had swallowed their diamonds and that uh, the soldiers picked them up and cut them open, took the diamonds out. <clears throat> That's what happens when you think that you need to get your stuff out of your house before you flee. And then the next instruction is very interesting. It's verse 18. He says, and let him who is in the field, so here on the rooftop they're relaxing, in the field they're working, let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes and usually what would happen, you, the uh, people in ancient times had an outer cloak and they would work in the field. The sun would come up, it would get hot, they'd take it off, lay it down somewhere, continue to work. He said, if you get the news if, that the temple is being desecrated, you see soldiers surrounding the city, he said, your coat isn't worth dying for. So he's, what we have in verse 17 is don't go down, and this is in verse 18, don't go back. There's no time to uh, 
to gather your, your possessions. So what is he saying there? When you see this happening, there's an urgency. Flee, okay? Now, there's not only an urgency in fleeing, there's going to be a difficulty in fleeing. So look what he says in verse 19. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. How in the world are they going to escape? You're pregnant. You can't just move that quickly. If you have a, a nursing baby, that baby needs to be fed. You're going to have problems escaping. That's basically what he's saying. The evacuation for you is going to be very difficult, if, it, if that's your case. Then he says in verse 20, And pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the Sabbath. Why not? Because the winter it was the rainy season. And mud would just be all over. And if you tried to get out of town, you would get stuck in the mud. Your cart, your animals would get stuck in the mud. And so he says, you better hope that this doesn't happen in the rainy season because you're going to have a hard time getting out of town and escaping for your life. And hope that it's not on the Sabbath. Why not? Because on the Sabbath, Orthodox Jews could only travel so far, about 2,400 feet on and after that, it was considered work, and they were breaking the Sabbath. So you better hope it doesn't happen on the Sabbath, or you're going to be in a real dilemma. So we know that the Christian Jews, which we call the Messianic Jews, who would be the disciples, indeed fled. Those that were in Jerusalem, when this happened, fled. Eusebius, the church historian, tells us that if you didn't flee by the spring of 68 A.D., you were killed in the massacre. So if you waited, you didn't leave quickly like Jesus said, you said, ah, maybe we can get another weekend here. Maybe I can work another week. Maybe I can do this. It was too late. So those who are followers of Jesus flee. And by the way, those who were not followers of Jesus didn't hear this prophecy. And they died in the Jewish war. That's what caused the divide between Judaism and Christianity. You wonder why, know why Jews and Christians have been divided for 2,000 years? It was because the Jews, when they were fighting the Jewish war against Rome, they were shocked that their Messianic Jewish brethren would flee the city and leave them to fight the war themselves. And since that time, Jews and Christians have been at odds. It was all because of this event right here. Okay? Now, uh, where did the Christians flee to? They fled to Pella, which today we call Petra, the Rose Red City. And so that's where they went. It was a place where you, you, know, you couldn't get armies in, you know, and so they, that was a safe place. They went into this uh, area, and some of you have been there, east of the Jordan. Now look at the reason for the flight. Look at verse 21. Are you still with me? Watch. Why should we flee? For then there will be great tribulation, such has not, that has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. Now, here he says this is going to be a time of great tribulation. Now, he may be using a hyperbole here. I mean, this is going to be the worst it ever has been or ever will be. We don't know that. But what we do know is that this Jewish war was horrendous. 
Josephus tells us, it's hard to believe, that one million Jews were killed in this three and a half year period by the Roman soldiers. And Rome controlled the food, and they cut off the food supply, and Jews starved, and the famine was so bad during this period, Josephus tells us, that women killed their little children and roasted them and ate them in order to survive. So when he says it's the worst that's ever been, it depends how you interpret worse. <laughs> it doesn't mean that more people will never die. It just means the things are really, really, really bad. And then he says this, and unless those days are, were shortened, Jesus says, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And so if we're looking at a historical event, the days were shortened. The war only lasted three and a half years. And if the war had lasted longer, it would have killed more Jews. But God shortens it. Okay? Now, many. this is where all the controversy comes in. Many Bible teachers believe that God shortened the tribulation to three and a half years right here. And he will resume the tribulation another three and a half years right before Christ comes. Giving you seven years of tribulation. Others believe the war was ended here, but tribulation continued onward into the church age, and millions and millions and millions and millions and tens of millions of Christians have been persecuted and martyred for their faith throughout history. And that's going to happen all the way up to the time of Christ. We don't know that. The scripture doesn't say that. But it's, this is a very difficult issue right here. So, uh, but I think he's describing events that took place between 66 and 70 AD, a three and a half year period known as the Jewish War. Okay? Now let's keep on moving. <clears throat> then if anyone says to you, to who? You, we're still dealing with the disciples there. That's why we know it's in their lifetime. If anyone says to you, look, there is Messiah, or there, do not believe it. Because false Christ, false messiahs, and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders and deceive, if it were possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand i have told you beforehand therefore if they say to you look say to who you look he's in the desert don't go out there now notice they are to do something they're to flee aren't they if they see they flee but guess what they're not to do they're not going to go hunt for some messiah they're not to do that if they say look he's in the desert he's hidden hidden from you, don't go out. Or look, he's in the inner room, the inner chamber. In other words, he hasn't revealed himself, but he's here. Do not believe it. All this is happening in their lifetime. Why? Why? For as lightning, here's the reason why you're not to go after these people claiming to be Christ. Because as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. When he comes, everyone will see it. 
from one side of the horizon to the other. It'll be unmistakable when he comes. He's not going to be hiding out in the desert somewhere and not revealing himself because he's in some room. Don't go following after all these false Christ and these false prophets because when Christ returns, it will be evident. Okay? And he illustrates that. <clears throat> Look what he says. Now, he doesn't say, by the way, Christ is going to come in their lifetime, does he? No, he just says that when he comes, guess what? Everyone will know it. Okay, now watch this. Here's the reason you're not to go hunting for these secret Christ. Because when he comes, everyone will know it. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles, better translation is vultures, there the vultures will be gathered together. You never have to guess where the carcass of a dead animal is. All you have to do is look up, and you'll see where the vultures are circling, and you'll know immediately where the carcass is. It's that apparent. It's self-evident. When Christ comes, it will be self-evident. And then look what he says in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, now he's switching back again because he's gone to, well, let's just read it rather than try to explain it at this point. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Well, we got a problem now, don't we? Now we're really in, we're really in, uh, in a difficult situation because what he's using in verse 29 is what we call apocalyptic language. If I said the apocalyptic language, what would that mean? Well, it's more than prophecy. It is language that is cosmic language. It's, the, it's symbolic language. This symbolizes something. And here's what it says. This is symbolizing judgment. In Isaiah, several places in Isaiah, Isaiah uses language like this to talk about judgment falling upon the nation of Israel. And so here it seems to indicate that after this tribulation period, this Jewish war, that Israel is being judged and everything is being shaken, their whole world's being shaken, and uh, things are just not going to be the same. Okay? He says immediately after the tribulation of those days, the tribulation of those days. What days? Well, if you go back and you look at the phrase those days, you'll see that that's still referring to that first century. That particular thing is still referring to the first century. So after the Jewish war, God is basically judging the Jewish nation. And he basically, that's it. That's it for them in, in that sense. Israel as a nation is being judged. Now we come to verse 30. Now watch this. Then the sign. Remember they asked for the sign? Look, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. When will that happen? The answer is what? Then. When? Then. <laughs> After Israel is judged, then there will be the sign of the Son of Man coming. Now, the problem is, we don't know 
when he's going to come. We don't know what then refers to. Then, does that mean then immediately? Does that mean then 10 days? Does that mean then 10,000 years later? It's just then simply is a sequence word. And it means after Israel's judged, then they'll see. You'll, he doesn't say you'll see, by the way. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. See? And so we don't know when this is going to happen. And this is the problem. This is a very difficult situation here. And I'm going to show you why. If this means immediately after Israel's judged and the temple's destroyed, Christ is going to return. Oh, well, he didn't, did he? And if that's what it meant, then Jesus was wrong. Okay? And Albert Schweitzer, one of the greatest geniuses in the early 1900s, missionary, New Testament scholar, he believed that Jesus was wrong. He believed that the word then meant then after this destruction of the temple and the nation of Israel's judge, then Messiah would come. And it didn't happen like that. So he says Jesus was wrong. In his major book called The Quest of the Historical Jesus, which was one of the most, I'd say one of the top most five most important theology books in the 20th century. Okay. It influenced Christianity for the next 60 years. Okay. But if the then, if the tribulation, which was shortened to three and a half years, it resumes later on in three and a half years when that one is over, and Christ, that means then the Son of God comes, and then he comes, we don't know what the date is. It's just a future date. That's all we know. Okay. Now, the problem is, now listen, I'm going to say something at this point. The problem is when Bible teachers give you simplistic answers. They can give you some schedule, some plan, and you buy into it. Okay. That's a real mistake. That only happens with popular Bible teachers. That only happens with television preachers. Okay? That only happens with people who have best-selling books. Not books like mine that sell in my Sunday school class. <laughs> <laughs> only. No, no, look. New Testament scholars, and I'm talking about major New Testament scholars, have wrestled with this text for 2,000 years, and they've come to no consensus. So when some person gets up and gives you some simplistic answer, don't buy into that. That's nonsense. Who do they think they are? I'm standing here to tell you I can't even tell you what it means. And I've looked, I've probably read as many books on this subject as there is. And I'm not talking about Hal Lindsey books. I'm talking about major writers. Okay? All we know is that after the tribulation,